Chapter Nineteen of Clementina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Clementina by A. E. W. Mason. Chapter Nineteen: The Attack at Perry. Wogan did not move. In a few minutes, he heard voices whispering in the courtyard below. By that time, the princess should have escaped into the thicket. The stairs creaked, and again he saw a face over the edge of a step. It was the flabby face of a stranger, who turned and whispered in German to others behind him. The face rose, a pair of shoulders, a portly body, and a pair of unbooted legs became visible. The man carried a drawn sword. Between his closed eyelashes Wogan saw that four others with the like arms followed. There should have been six but the sixth was Harry Whittington, who, to be sure, was not likely to show himself to Wogan awake. The five men passed the first turn of the stairs without noise. Wogan was very well pleased with their noiselessness. Men without boots to their feet were at a very great disadvantage when it came to a fight. He allowed them to come up to the second turn. He allowed the leader to ascend the last straight flight until he was almost within sword-reach, and then he quietly rose to his feet. "'Gentlemen,' said he, "'I grieve to disappoint you, but I have hired this lodging for the night.' The leader stopped, discountenanced, and leaned back against his followers. "'You are awake?' he stammered. "'It is a habit of mine.' The leader puffed out his cheeks and assumed an appearance of dignity. Then we are saved some loss of time, for we were coming to awake you. It was on that account, no doubt, said Wogan, folding his arms, that you have all taken off your boots. But, pardon me, your four friends behind appear, in spite of what I have said, to be thrusting you forward. I beg you to remain on the step on which you stand, for if you mount one more you will put me to the inconvenience of drawing my sword. Wogan leaned back idly against the wall. The princess should now be on the road and past the inn, unless perhaps Whittington was at watch beneath the windows. That did not seem likely, however. Whittington would work in the dark and not risk detection. The leader of the four had stepped back at Wogan's words, but he said very bravely, I warn you to use no violence to officers in discharge of their duty. We hold a warrant for your arrest. Indeed, said Wogan, with a great show of surprise, I cannot bring myself to believe it. On what counts? Firstly, in that you stole away Her Highness the Princess Clementina from the Emperor's guardianship on the night of the 27th of April at Innsbruck. Did I indeed do that? said Wogan carelessly. "'Upon my word, this cloak of mine is frayed. I had not noticed it.' And he picked at the fringe of his cloak with some annoyance. "'In the second place you did kill and put to death at a wayside inn outside Stuttgart one Anton Gans, servant to the Countess of Berg.' Wogan smiled amicably. "'I should be given a medal for that with a most beautiful ribbon of salmon colour, I fancy. Salmon or aquamarine.' "'Which would look best, do you think, on a coat of black velvet? "'I wear black velvet, as your relations will too, my friend, "'if you forget which step your foot is on. "'Shall we say salmon colour for the ribbon? "'The servant was a noxious fellow. "'We will.' "'The leader of the four, who had set his foot on the forbidden step, "'withdrew it quickly. 
Wogan continued in the same quiet voice. You say you have a warrant? And a voice very different from his leader's, a voice loud and decisive, which came from the last of the four, answered him. We have the Emperor's warrant. And how comes it, asked Wogan, that the Emperor's warrant runs in Venice? Because the Emperor's arm strikes in Venice, cried the hindermost again, and he pushed past the man in front of him. That we have yet to see, cried Wogan, and his sword flashed naked in his hand. At the same moment the man who had spoken drew a pistol and fired. He fired in a hurry. The bullet cut a groove in the rail of the stair and flattened itself against the passage wall. "'The Emperor's arm shakes, it seems,' said Wogan with a laugh. The leader of the party, thrust forward by those behind him, was lifted to the forbidden step. "'I warned you,' cried Wogan, and his sword darted out. But whether from design or accident, the man uttered a cry and stumbled forward on his face. Wogan's sword flashed over his shoulder, and its point sank into the throat of the soldier behind him. That second soldier fell back, with the blood spurting from his wound, upon the man with the smoking pistol, who thrust him aside with an oath. "'Make room!' he cried, and lunged over the fallen leader. "'Here's a fellow in the most desperate hurry,' said Wogan, and parrying the thrust he disengaged, circled, disengaged again, and lunging felt the soldier's leather coat yield to his point. "'The Emperor's arm is weak, too, one might believe,' he laughed and he drove his sword home. The man fell upon the stairs, but as Wogan spoke the leader, crouched on the step, plucked violently at his cloak below his knees. Wogan had not recovered from his lunge. The jerk at the cloak threw him off his balance. His legs slipped forward under him. In another moment he would have come crashing down the stairs upon his back, and at the bottom of the flight there stood one man absolutely unharmed, supporting his comrade who had been wounded in the throat. Wogan felt the jerk, understood the danger, and saw its remedy in the same instant. He did not resist the impetus. He threw his body into it. He sprang from the stairs forwards, tearing his cloak from the leader's hands. He sprang across the leader, across the soldier who had fired at him, and he dropped with all his weight into the arms of the third man with the pierced throat. The blood poured out from the wound over Wogan's face and breast in a blinding jet. The fellow uttered one choking cry, and, reeling back, carried the comrade who supported him against the balustrade at the turn of the stairs. Wogan did not give that fourth man time to disengage himself, but, dropping his sword, caught him by the throat as the third wounded man slipped between them to the ground. Wogan bent his new opponent backwards over the balustrade, and felt the muscles of his back resist and then slacken. Wogan bent him further and further over until it seemed his back must break, but it was the balustrade which broke. Wogan heard it crack. He had just time to loose his hands and step back, and the railing and the man poised on the rail fell outwards into the courtyard. Wogan stepped forward and peered downwards. The soldier had not broken his neck, for Wogan saw him writhe upon the ground. He bent his head to see the better. He heard a report behind him, and a bullet passed through the crown of his hat. He swung round and saw the leader of the four with one of his own pistols smoking in his hand. "'You?' cried Wogan. "'Sure, here's a rabbit attacking a terrier dog.' And he sprang up the stairs. 
the man threw away the pistol fell on his knees and held up his hands for mercy now what will i do to you said wogan did you not fire at my back that's reprehensible cowardice and with my own pistol too which is sheer impertinence what will i do with you the man's expression was so pitiable his heavy cheeks hung in such despairing folds that wogan was stirred to laughter well you have put me to a deal of inconvenience said he but i will be merciful being strong being most extraordinary strong i'll send you back to your master the emperor with a message from me that four men are no manner of use at all come in here for a bit wogan took the unfortunate man and led him into the parlour then he lit a lamp and making his captive sit where he could see any movement that he made he wrote a very polite note to his most catholic majesty the emperor wherein he pointed out that it was a cruel thing to send four poor men who had never done harm to capture charles wogan that no king or emperor before who had wanted to capture charles wogan of whom there were already many and by god's grace he hoped there would be more had ever dispatched less than a regiment of horse upon so hazardous an expedition and that when captain o'toole might be expected to be standing side by side with wogan it was usually thought necessary to add seven batteries of artillery and a field-marshal wogan thereupon went on to point out that perry was in venetian territory which his most catholic majesty had violated and that charles wogan would accordingly feel it his bounden duty not to sleep night or day until he had made a confederation of italian states to declare war and captivity upon his most catholic majesty wogan concluded with the assurances of his profoundest respects and was much pleased by his letter which he sealed and compelled his prisoner upon his knees to promise to deliver into the emperor's own hands now where is that pretty warrant said wogan as soon as this important function was accomplished it is signed by the governor of trent said the man who in those regions is the emperor's deputy hand it over the man handed it over reluctantly now continued wogan here is paper and ink and a chair sit down and write a full confession of your audacious incursion into a friendly country and just write if you please how much you paid the landlady to hear nothing of what was going on you will not force me to that cried the fellow by no means the confession must be voluntary and written of your own free will so write it my friend without any compulsion whatever or i'll throw you out of the window then followed a deal of sighing and muttering but the confession was written and handed to wogan who glanced over it but there's an omission said he you make mention of only five men there were only five men on the staircase but there are six horses in the stables will you be good enough to write down at what hour and on what day mr harry whittington knocked at the governor's door in trent and told the poor gout-ridden man that the princess and mr wogan had put up at the servo inn at Allah. the soldier turned a startled face on wogan so you knew he cried oh i knew answered wogan suddenly look at me did you ever see eyes so heavy with want of sleep 
a face so worn by it, a body so jerked upon strings like a showman's puppet? Right, I tell you, we who serve the king are trained to wakefulness. Right, I am in haste. Yet your king does not reign, said the man wonderingly. And he wrote. He wrote the truth about Harry Whittington, for Wogan was looking over his shoulder. "'Did he pay you to keep silence as to his share in the business?' asked Wogan, as the man scattered some sand over the paper. "'There is no word of it in your handwriting.' The man added a sentence and a figure. "'That will do,' said Wogan. "'I may need it for a particular purpose.' And he put the letter carefully away in the pocket of his coat. "'For a very particular purpose,' he added. "'It will be well for you to convey your party back with all haste to Trent. "'You are on the wrong side of the border.'" End of chapter 19